should tell everybody how how we are remiss for not having recorded during all of this craziness in the world and the outbreak of war. Although we did uh, what record uh, a week a week into the conflict. Yeah, but, yeah, um, sounds right. I think we kind of both surmise that it's probably best to keep a record of getting things right, so not jumping ahead of events, but analyzing things. You know, sort of once the dust has settled a bit. Um, since we don't have a huge audience, so what's kind of the point of like, you know, scrambling all the time to figure stuff out. Um, but now there's a kind of a a good way to, I think, assess who is right and who is wrong about stuff. But today, right. We want to actually just talk, just get back into the swing of things by discussing, um, two editorials that were in the New York times, um, on two Mm -hmm. successive weekends, one being May 22nd, there was an editorial by the New York times editorial board and then the following weekend um joe biden himself or his aides penned a um op-ed as a kind of quasi response to that and a kind of clarification of um well what the u.s will and will not do in ukraine and so we wanted to discuss that and in the context of what the likely trajectory of this conflict is yeah for sure i know you're writing on this also so you're you're pretty well prepared i think we want to get into that a little bit, but um, you you started working on your piece, which is on the course of the war um, mm-hmm. after these came out. And what I noticed about both of these pieces, the first one is called "The War in the Ukraine is Getting Complicated and America Isn't Ready." I, I remember talking to you about this and thinking that it seemed defeatist to me in a sense. You know, the mouthpiece of Western liberalism, the New York Times, was making a case that the U.S. doesn't know what the hell it's doing. And there's a real danger that they're going to push Russia towards the abyss, really push the world towards the abyss. I mean, in you know, this could be the most dangerous moment in the war. And it and it's not. I think defeatist may may be the the wrong read on it, but but there is sort of a you know an, an establishment kind of putting you know an establishment resistance to the course of the war, um, and the initial euphoria, the initial high that liberals were on about this war has, you know, it's kind of, they've kind of fallen a bit, you know, and they've, they've, uh-huh. they've sobered up and that euphoria isn't there anymore. And, and, um, you know, we could talk about Biden's piece, but I want to start with this one that came out in the 22nd because I want to hear your perspective on it, kind of go through what this article argues. It's not a bad piece in any sense. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of measured and it, and it comes to, uh, like I said, it sobers up and it seems to think, you know, it seems to argue that, uh, negotiated settlement has to be in the works. Otherwise, this is all going to be just completely chaotic and mm-hmm. um, understands that there's going to be a whooping at the polls. Yeah. So, yeah. So why don't you walk us through a couple of the arguments in the piece and I'll kind of riff on that. Well, I guess um, I would say that if, you know, having been, you know, reading a bunch of stuff in the last couple of weeks, I would, I would argue that this is the sort of beginning of the establishment sort of trying to um, make a, pivot away from the um, more um, optimistic view that Ukraine was going to completely repel Russia and um, the sort of more kind of heroic rhetoric and uh, around um, Zelensky and the expectation that this, you know, heroic struggle was going to be able to be able to stop Russia. And also a kind of, you know, as you suggested, uh, combined with that, a recognition that the sanctions are not having the in t- to- are not having the intended effect 
that they expected from the beginning. And also that it's going to sort of, there's a kind of boomerang effect that could very well unseat or undermine the um, voting bloc constituency that the Democrats would, um, mm-hmm. would, would require in order to win uh, midterm elections. And I think everybody knows that it's, they're going to get a whooping um, yeah. for a variety of reasons, including, you know, not a lot of lack of confidence in Democrats in general, but also mishandling of the economy, inflation, as they themselves say, um, inflation is a much bigger issue for American voters in Ukraine, and the disruptions to global food and energy markets are likely to intensify. So right. those two things, recognition of these two things, one, um, uh, uh, Ukraine is not going to win the war and that it's going to have to make a negotiated settlement which um, concedes a loss of territory and that the sanctions um, effort is not working as intended are the big, um, basically, concessions or recognitions of this piece. And I think it's the beginning of people admitting that. And the beginning of people yeah. of people in the establishment admitting that now includes pieces in the New York Times where they say, we have no idea where all these weapons are going. They're on black markets. They're on, they're yeah, on the dark remarkable. web. To also um, other, another piece about how they're trying to now try to, you know, kind of like a hot potato um, explain away the, the losses that are happening in the Donbass in the Eastern Ukraine on a lack of like um, a lack of um, intelligence and oversight by Americans of the Ukrainian government. So they're going to try to start to blame it on Zelensky and it's completely, I mean, fallacious and um, incoherent for them to say that American intelligence you know, knows more about Russia than it does about Ukraine because we built up Ukraine's intelligence service. <laughs> and I mean, there, there, perhaps there are blind spots or whatever. Um, but the idea that, um, Americans with command posts in Lviv and all of the intelligence sharing that they're doing on the military basis means that they don't know what um, Ukraine's no, overall no, strategy real, is, is ridiculous. The real reason is cloud cover. That's what that article says. There's too much cloud cover. The satellites can't see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but but you're right. I mean, that article, and, that, and that's, you know, we're not going to talk about that one as much, but that just came out. And the other side of it is, what I found remarkable is that it admits, you know, there's an open discussion about, um, you know, there's, it's not clear where this $40 billion is in lethal aid, whatever the number is now, let's call it $40 billion. It's some fucking insane number but yeah. uh the the billions and billions of dollars going to lethal aid they're admitting openly that t- this is the times again that they, they're not quite sure where the weapons are going they don't know what the strategy is so there's kind of this open discussion like there's no what's the end game here and mm-hmm. on on the one hand i mean there's this tension right now because you know austin uh, secretary uh, of defense austin himself you know uh, raytheon board member Mm-hmm. himself is is you know obviously trying to prosecute this war to the bitter end and he's saying things like russia uh, or putin has to be undermined he he has to be you know rendered powerless and and other hawks i mean they they seem to be all in on basically going back to pre euromaidan territorial uh conditions getting crimea back um and this is i think an existential question to russia so there's this there's this real tension right now between um on the one hand the you know the state department the secretary of defense and then you have the times you know uh journalists who are who seem to be 
thinking that the war is essentially won. Like, you've gone as far as you can with these sanctions. Like, Putin will go down in history as a, uh, I don't know what word they use, something like a butcher or something like that. Um, and it seems that the United States has been successful in, you know, Wolfgang Strick, he was talking about this, and we've discussed it at length, maybe reconsolidated NATO, right, and behind the United States. And Europe has been weaned off of Russian gas. And you'll see news in, in the coming weeks about 2035, there aren't going to be any more, you know, gas-powered cars. It's all going to be electric, this and that. So there, you're already seeing the narrative kind of move in that direction of being weaned off of Russian gas. So in, in some sense, the establishment, you know, the journalist wing, the kind of, um, you know, the media elite seem to think that this is over and they better just cut their losses with Russia on a negotiated settlement than get whooped on inflation. And, and, and that seems to be, you know, I, I don't know where this is going to resolve. It's kind of confusing right now. One of the other things I liked about the piece was that it, it really, um, you know, zoned in on something you brought up about Lloyd Austin's public, uh, you know, um, announcement of American intentions to weaken Russia. They, they focus in mm-hmm. on the lack of clarity and the sort of sloppiness of the Biden um, administration in signaling and messaging around its intentions in this conflict. So it, it in, in the same, you know, breath or in the same sentence, they um, – chastised Nancy Pelosi for, you know, saying that the U.S. would support Ukraine until victory is won, but also um, Biden's um, slip of the tongue that Mr. Putin cannot remain in power. This man cannot remain in power, which is a clear indication of regime change. And just overall, I mean, the the tendency of Biden um, to let something slip that, for example, the week after this, or no, I should say um, a month after this, while during his um, trip in Asia, um, saying that the United States would um, fight a war to protect Taiwan from China, that that was a commitment we had made. And then aides and um, 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 press officials walking back what he's saying and then explaining away things that he clearly says. And the fact that this is happening, you know, this has happened three times now with China. This has happened a couple times in relationship to Russia where he says something that they have to walk back. Yeah. Um, all of this is very sort of, I mean, on the one hand, sloppy. On the other hand, it has a kind of jackal-faced uh, kind of, uh, um, you know, kind of um, maniacal aspect to it, too, When you where you get an indication that someone who's not really in highest of the or in, in, in top flight in terms of their cognitive powers is letting things slip that are hap- <laughs> that are discussed in the strategizing room right I mean there's also that aspect that I mean that must worry um, the Russians and the Chinese um, and so that was good that they honed in what, on what that. is this it's like a like a mad, madman theory kind yeah, of thing exactly the the geriatric yeah. madman theory yeah yeah well, that was, I mean, that was one thing that maybe Trump had going for him. People talked about that, that nobody really knew what his next move was going mm-hmm. to be. So, you know, that, you know, the idiocy or the uh, the lack of strategy in, in its own way is like a wild card kind of yeah. factor. And maybe the old man, you know, Sleepy Joe or whatever, he's got sort of similar qualities. But, um, yeah, but from, from a different angle of cognitive decay. Yeah. Oh, another thing I liked about it was the fact that they, that this last paragraph, um, you know, in, in reference to the need for a, a realistic assessment of what Ukraine can and can't get out of the war, um, mm-hmm. they say, confronting this reality may be painful, but it is not appeasement. This is what governments are duty-bound to do, not chase after an illusory win. 
Russia will be feeling the pain of isolation, debilitating economic sanctions for years to come, and Mr. Putin will go down in history as a butcher. The challenge now is to shake off the euphoria, stop the taunting, and focus on defining and completing the mission. America's support for Ukraine is a test of its place in the 21st century, and Mr. Biden has an opportunity and obligation to help define what will be done, or and what that will be, rather. Um, which is, you know, true. I mean, um, you can disagree with little parts of that, but um, overall, I think that's the right, um, you know, balance to strike or what, you know, American leadership should be trying a little bit harder to do. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to celebrate the times too much because they, no. you know, obviously were unabashedly in support right. of, um, fr- from the beginning, you know, ratcheting up tensions and, um, you know, they, they wanted to see Putin, uh, you know, be put in his proper place or whatever. Um, and, and they're always, you know, at the forefront of saber rattling. But now I think they, I get the sense it's, it's actually the opposite of defeatism. I think they, they, they're expressing a sense of victory, but the U S you know, it's ideological aims are running ahead of itself and the, and the blob, you know, it's, it's bureaucratic kind of institutional aims, this $40 billion, uh, hardly a peep of protest. Uh-huh. This is, it's just running too far ahead of itself. And this, you know, strategic logic, um, or lack of strategic logic, whatever you call it, just sort of this insanity is just running out of control. And this is just a bit of, you know, you see a bit of rationalism from the bourgeoisie, if you want to say Mm -hmm. that. And the times knows that there has to be, you have to know how to end, um, you know, end a project as well as you start it. And, and I, I think they fear making Russia desperate. They, they can see that there's a, you know, Putin's not fucking around. Right. Uh, they, they, they can understand that Mm -hmm. clearly. So yeah, as far as they're they're now you know coming coming to terms with the inevitability, I think of a negotiated settlement. Just let's end this thing yeah. now, and and I I don't think we can ask for much more than right. that. Um. Yeah. But but <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't I don't know. They like th- there's a uh, there's a powerful interest behind this war that wants to see it go on as long as possible. And if that means, you know, and that's dangerous. The longer this thing goes on, the harder it is going is going to be to end. And it seems like it's yeah, you know, th- this this forty billion dollar package passed yeah, right without well, a, the only people know, who opposed it yeah, were maybe. some what they call isolationist Republicans, and who had some pretty sound yeah. arguments actually, <laughs> and they sounded like leftists in two thousand three. Oh, yeah, or I mean, yeah, but there's there's not a, there's not a whole lot of protest on the ground there's no protest on the ground let's be honest about that so the only way this thing is going to end is if the united states comes to terms with uh ukraine not being part of nato Mm -hmm. right basically going back to its 1996 constitution which was dedicated to non-alignment uh crimea is not going back like russia is not giving crimea back I mean, you can. No, no. I, I, I just want. I'm. I'm chomping at the bit for you to to to, to say it because I mean, it's what's going to eventually has to happen is people are going to have to admit that um, Ukraine will not be in NATO, that it's not going to return Crimea, and that we'll have lost the Donbass, and it will probably have lost a land corridor from the Donbass down to Crimea. Which means what happens? Exactly. Ukraine is the worse 
for having been involved itself with the United States to be used as a bulwark against Russia, right? That's what everyone is going to have to admit yeah. has happened. That will be the effectual truth of all of this. And then what is the what is the signal that that sends as the United States now turns, decides to spin back around and then engage Asia? How convincing is that to the Taiwanese people when they see what happened there as they – as they're promised by Uncle Sam that they're going to get all the military and financial assistance they need in order to take on China, and as the United States goads it, I mean, that's the larger strategic issue that um, obviously is going to um, pull the United States deeper in into a kind of mission creep scenario in which they're going to want to try to inflict as much damage or pain and um, embarrassment on the Russians before the negotiation takes place. And that's a segue to the to the piece yeah. on Biden because, you know, he writes a response to this, you know, relatively, um, you know, kind of uh, this kind of this ribbing from the editorial board um, on the next week. And in it, he basically says, you know, to the effect that what the United States is going to do is define the terms very well so that there isn't a general conflict between the United States and Russia or NATO and, and U.S. and right. Russia. But that the, United, the U.S. is sort of morally obligated to help Ukraine to the point that they are able to change the reality on the ground such that they have a more favorable position at the negotiating table, even at this late date in the war, at this later stage in the war. Yeah, and there's kind of a – there's a funny line in it that I want you to quote, which is uh, – we talked about this a little bit. There's a little bit of a kind of – Orwellian like double speak yeah. in it of some kind. If I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, but we it, it's something along the lines. Yeah, of, I, I have it. We don't want to continue. Yeah, yeah. yeah, if you want to quote that, because I curious what listeners will hear yeah. in it. Because I heard two yeah. things when it's, I read it. All that. it really comes down to the question of a comma, but I'll, I'll read it. I'll read it in both ways. How about that? Okay, yeah. So oh, at the go. end of the piece, you know, um, Biden the the Biden entity writes that. Um, we are not enabling or encouraging Ukraine to strike beyond its borders. We do not want to prolong the war just to inflict pain on Russia. Or it could be read, we do not want to prolong the war <laughs> just to inflict pain on Russia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sick. I mean, this stuff is not... It's a real you know, Machiavellian turn of phrase. That's how you could put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can uh, just see and you can you imagine a neocon just like kind of like... You know, kind of like grasping their fingers while they like are stand over like a, a page or a secretary as they write it. Like they pray, phrase it thusly. <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 insanity of this article. I mean, it's, uh, you know, he he says obviously we we don't want a war between NATO and Russia. That's what that's what we we will, we will not do that because I think the what is the article? It's the the response that is. Uh, what the U.S. will right. and will not do in Ukraine and what it will not do is prosecute a war directly between NATO and Russia. But the United States has obviously tried to push NATO up against Russia's mm -hmm. borders. The United States has been providing long-range missiles and new art artillery, the, the latest in technology, mm -hmm. Stinger, Javelin, etc., etc. Yeah. So prolonging this thing where an accident could happen and may, and he's explicit about this, if... U.S. personnel were struck, then there could be a war. It's not, you know, they're not prosecuting that now, but he leaves it on the table. If there were casualties on U.S. personnel, U.S. military personnel, 
then it's kind of left open. There would be a war. So yeah. they they are staring into the abyss. And this response to the times, I mean, it's, you know, this is this is who people you have to you have to be accountable to this. This is the man you voted for, yeah. right? And now you're you're facing down the abyss. This I don't think it's this article does not. I think the Times original piece from from the week before mm-hmm. understands that there there is a real question of nukes being used. Biden talks about it and he says, "Oh, if there if there are nukes, it's a real worry. There will be a uh, heavy handed response. Mm-hmm. There will be no yeah. excuse. There'll be, you know." So so th- it, it's it's kind of. Uh, I'm having a hard time putting into words because of how crazy this is. You know, we're not, we don't want to groove on what happened in, you know, places like Mariupol or, you know, some of these cities are now just bombed uh-huh. out and it's, it's this guy's fucking fault. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's this regime's fault going back to 2014. And, um, I don't know. There's just, there's zero accountability on it. And, uh, I don't expect anything more than that, but, but, yeah, help me out here. No, I mean, I, I agree. I'm, I'm I mean, losing my in mind general, America, and Americans in general, and of course, you know, Biden administration will not publicly take um, responsibility for any of that stuff. In fact, you know, the the um, and, and we should also say that you know, Putin take, bears a lot of responsibility for starting a war. For you know, the 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 way it was planned, this the lack of planning on certain aspects, which we well, can talk I would, about later. I, just, I don't mean to interrupt. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to interrupt you. But the one. But one thing that's really bothering me is that. Yeah, I, and I know. And and I don't want to pussyfoot around this because I think it's important that the United States is centrally to blame for taking political options. I agree the table. totally. And the one thing you just mentioned. I mean, I know you yeah. agree with that, but I just want to ha- hammer that home. I mean, I, I I don't I don't want to go so far as to saying this is justified war. You know, was was Putin was Putin crazy? Was he unjustified? And going, I don't know what the other option was. It was very. Yeah. Clear from everything the United States was doing, the Minsk Accords breaking down twice. There yeah. was an exit ramp; it broke down twice. There was no political solution yeah. anymore. And then Biden comes in here and he talks about—I mean, these fucking tired phrases about democracy. Oh, I know. And and and, and, and the, the other the thing sun. is that Putin went through so many steps to, you know, and some the diplomatic overtures and stuff. I mean, not all of them maybe needed to be taken entirely seriously, or that, but the point was to negotiate and find some off ramp to the sort of strategy of um, compellence that he was engaged in a kind of military diplomatic pressure move that that Putin was putting himself in and putting yeah. the world in, um, which I would argue was rational, right? And it has a disastrous result. This is what structural realism is about, is like looking at a situation like this and how actors are compelled to do this sort of thing. Now, the... Um, you know, other frustrating thing that you you know bring up about how there's a certain kind of cognitive dissonance in the part of you know the West in its way it understands the origins and pro- and um, you know um, um, progress of this situation is the fact that the day after he wrote this, he with all of the you know um, sort of rejoinders and um, uh, recognition of how this could escalate. He announced that he was going to send these um, HIMAR multiple rocket um, infantry systems, um, not infantry, I should say, um, artillery systems artillery. that um, have different ranges, one of them being around 50 miles and another one, if different um, um, artillery is used or different shells are used, can be as much as 150 miles. And in his and in the Biden administration's, you know, sort of explanation for or, or its expression of its reasoning for um, sending them to Ukraine was that they had assurances 
from the Zelensky regime that they wouldn't be used to attack Russia. Okay. Then two weeks later, we have a, a, a message coming out, or we have an article about how the United States doesn't really have a coherent strategic picture of what the what the um, reasoning and um, deliberation process of the Ukrainian government is. I mean, obviously, we don't think that's true, but these signals indicate um, something's amiss, right? <laughs> I mean, there's something that um, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. Yeah, yeah. It actually it gives them some plausible. Actually, I didn't read it that way originally, but what you're talking about it gives them some plausible deniability if there <laughs> were a strike in Russia. The United States go, well, we fucking know what was happening. Uh, we, we, you know, there's too much cloud coverage. Our satellites yeah. can't pick it up. Uh, also, the Ukrainians are fucking up so bad they can't release their their intelligence because it would show, oh shit, a hundred people a yeah. day are dying. Uh, you know, the morale is low, and all these reasons they cite it for not knowing what's happening were. It, it's all seriously 40 billion dollars you are the intel on the ground you built up their spy uh infrastructure essentially but you don't know what's happening you don't know where yeah. this money's going i mean that was such a damning article uh in so many ways so that's what i mean when i go back to that and i look and i say man there really is this tension in the established right establishment right now and it's unclear which way it's going to go at the polls i mean there is a uh there's a lack of coherence on this on this question of the course of the war, there's lack of coherence on mm -hmm. inflation. It all points to a pretty, uh, you know, interesting situation politically here. And and I don't think the left is going to be happy with it because it's been absent from the discussion. Um, and and Oops. there's just going to be a, a straight up whooping and everybody's going to cry about it. Everybody's going to cry. Oh, what, yeah. how did this happen? How, how, how could this possibly happen? There, who, there's no one on the left. I mean, there, there are a few people in the kind of alternative media space that we like read and stuff, but there are no left politicians. I mean, look at that guy. What's his name? Druss, the foreign policy advisor to to um, uh, Bernie. Yeah. To Bernie Sanders, I mean, he's like, uh, you know, he, might, he probably has like, you know, yellow and blue face paint on and, you know, uh, he's running down the street yelling Slava Ukraina. Um, I mean, he's full <laughs> oh on, God. let's engage in this proxy war and offers no kind of um, uh, voice of, you know, uh, resistance or um, defiance to not even this policy, but the logic of the policy. I mean, you can, I can see you being, I can imagine someone in Washington being for the sanctions regime. You thinking you have to, it makes sense that you has to be some kind of response to Russia for, um, invading another country that, that the, you can't be the, you can't be claimed to be the, um, you know, um, uh, uh the, the hegemon? hegemon of a system. <laughs> right. Or, you know, or be the hegemon of a system and not react to a, one country invading another, right? Yeah. So yeah, I can see that. I can see leftists, yeah. lots of lefties and liberals being for that. But um, his name is Druss, right? I, I can't. I, I knew who you were he, talking about. For, I can't remember. He's, all, yeah. he's like saying he's advocating for even more and more commitment into this proxy war. And so there you go. There, there's, there's a little bit of proof that Bernie Sanders probably wouldn't have done much different in this situation. Yeah. Matt Duss is here talking about. Um, Duss, yeah. Yeah. But y you actually tweeted something a couple couple days ago uh where i had i had what you yeah 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 you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you twittered uh about how all of your heroes are are letting you down and all of your no i said I it was uh, all my all my heroes are dead and my enemies are everywhere in power yeah and, is... it, and it was in response to something zizek said oh yeah zizek was uh it was like a zizek wrote a kind of just boilerplate type article like russia is fascist kind of thing yeah yeah 
That's that's an issue that we should actually take up seriously since we're both kind of invested in that. And um, I agree. There have been um, some. There have been some good articles. I mean, I say I say thoughtful articles, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think extremely wrongheaded, like from Tim Snyder, where there's oh my god, yeah, there's a real discussion well, about about that point. I don't want to get into it tonight, but um. Mm-hmm. Uh, but listeners can expect to hear that later. I mean, we have tons of notes on a bunch of great articles that came out in the first couple months. Yeah, but just on this question of the left, I mean, somebody who I really respect and 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 you know, we've both cited him on the show. Uh, very informative on the course of um, Ukrainian radicalization after 2014. The mm. you know the, the radicalization of of, uh, of nationalism. And, you know, the identification of powers like Azov, the right sector, Svoboda in the state, Um, Mm -hmm. Shanko, he came out with this interview with New Left Review. And Mm -hmm. I think this is published, you know, the January, April, this fat issue that just came out. But uh, you you can see even somebody like him who who was recently as 2018 uh, was very sharp and clear about how influential the right and how, how much initiative the far right actual fascist elements in the Ukrainian uh, in Ukrainian society have taken initiative in the state. He is now waffling on this question of how influential they are in the Donbass. He kind of denies the Azov almost dismisses and disappears their existence in, yeah. in the Donbass region. And it's, and it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, I'm, you know, we don't live in Ukraine. We, and you have to ask these real questions about what would you do if you were there? So you can't fault yeah. him for being, kind of you know f- feeling these pressures but but the left the left is really the academic left in particular has completely jumped the shark on this stuff i mean they're they're i mean they've adopted the language of you know criticizing u.s imperialism and just flipped it onto you know looking at russia, russia as an imperialist yeah. beast and this right. is all about this is all about imperial expansion that's that's the central argument i think of of the left, and if you go through this piece by Ashenko, which we'll we'll go into at depth at some point, mm-hmm. but um, it is very much framed by a critique of Russian imperialism, yeah, and 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 hardly discusses the and and a shoddy imperialism too. I think another part of it too is that the the like you know it's the fact that it doesn't have a, a, a an alluring or appealing model of social and economic development, right? Right, and so this is a kind of la- they they view this as a last gas militaristic um, like effort, a, def- a deficient because, imperialism, yeah. Right, because it because it can't really stop the onslaught of capital, and so I guess um, th- the view is this faded power is um, you know trying to, is e- even if they can admit there's a kind of defensive nature to the uh, to Russia's reaction, they still see it as you know. I would see. I don't. I think Volodymyr Yushchenko would have some more sophisticated analysis, but I think the general mood or trend is for a lot of them to think Russia is kind of fascistic, right? And yeah. um, and what's interesting about the Yushchenko interview is that you know he's, um, you know, one things we value at from him, right, is his framework for understanding the the um, evolution of the Ukrainian political system as basically you know, um, force through this, um, prism or this force field of these three different types of, um, you know, kind of coalitions. One is oligarchs who often, whose feuds and political contests are basically what kind of, um, 
um, churn the political system and what all of the elections, you know, what's at stake in all of the elections, really. Yeah. Then there's this new thing that came on the scene with Maidan, which is both the NGO liberal kind of pro-Western kind of um, milieu. The civil society element. Yeah. Civil society element, which really has very little power, but is instead a kind of window dressing. And then there's the new emergence of these far-right paramilitary, you know, um, street sweeping kind of um, movements that actually for their size, um, you know, apply a ton of pressure on the political process and, you know, have a kind of in many, in many instances spread a kind of sense of terror on the streets that is able to, um, you know, that allows them to play a really outsized role in, in, in its politics, despite the low level of, you know, um, uh, um, of parliamentary representation they might have. Yeah. And he understood that dynamic very well. But then in this latest interview, it seems like he's really dismissing the idea that they're, that they were a very significant um, part of the fighting force in the Donbass region. And then he says, but I haven't really done any research on it, so I don't really know. And so I, I'm really that's, upset that's, that like, I, mean, I don't know how to <laughs> interpret this guy. Um, so maybe he's not really that good on the military paramilitary well that's what's disappointing because that's that's what i thought he was sharpest on but but he comes out and he reveals a lot more in that interview that that is quite telling that he supported zelensky in 2019 and he doesn't regret his vote in the least despite oh, right. everything else that's come to light but i we're kind of you know we're, we're we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit i mean it's an interesting interview and it's related to what we're talking about but you know just just trying to synthesize and bring this all back to these two articles um a, my takeaway from this is that there really is some tension within the establishment. It's almost undeniable between sort of the cultural elite in a sense. They, they've, mm -hmm. th that, that original high, you know, they took a big hit on international liberalism. <laughs> um, and, and now they're kind of. Oh man, that's good, dude. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This like internationalism is kind of, it's, uh, it, they're, they're feeling the come down a little bit, but, yeah. but there is a logic to, you know, things like, uh, you know, uh, Austin, what he's saying about, um, you know, you know, cutting cutting Putin's balls off or whatever he said, and Biden, his slips. I mean, these are not accidental things, and so there's kind of a running ahead with the military logic that is in very dangerous territory right now. The Times kind of shit its pants in this article and said we're a little worried that Russia might become desperate, and are we staring into the abyss? Essentially, that's how I read this. At the end of the day. Um, the left, the left is 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 not has not appeared in opposition to no. this proxy war in the least, and even even people the, the people we respect the most or have respected the most in this discussion they've closed the door on any opposition and now they've kind of taken a side against Russia as a fascist power or an imperialist power, uh, without recognizing, uh, which what I think is very important thing to recognize that there is. Uh, they've stuck their finger in the eye of U.S. imperialism, if nothing else. And and it's easy to admit that without having to buy into anything about Putin politically. And I think that's an important, you know, tradition maybe in the left, you know. Uh, I mean, little shark, I mean, little shark beating the big shark in, in some way. I mean, we kind of yeah. we would hope for that. Well, it's, you know, if we could tie it back to a kind of Leninist formulation, it's like, you know, the... With the you know it's the imperialist chain at the weakest link. Although it's you know it's obviously there are a lot of different circumstances in World War One. Although I, I'm often you know um, uh, convinced of 
the usefulness of the World War One analogy as opposed to World War Two in this global situation we find ourselves in. But um, you know, uh, the, the there is something to be said about how much more powerful the United States is with its $700 billion compared to Russia's $80 billion in defense spending and the general trajectory of U.S. NATO expansion over this whole entire period just makes you really have to put into question the idea that this story is simply one of Russian aggression. I mean, I, obviously, our listeners know that where we stand on that kind of stuff, but um, the left has to really... Um, confront that and like think about geopolitics in a different way than it's used to, which has usually been moralistic um, kind of um, uh, Jeremy ads about the death of civilians and this or that country halfway around the world of the indigenous people of this place or the poor people who've been under sanctions of that place, but not actual confrontations with powerful militaries. And the, the thought is basically, it seems like, unless there's just a subject population who's completely being decimated by clearly U.S. imperialism, in which it's easy to see a kind of, or, or argue that there's a moral condemnation of what the U.S. is doing, then it's, it lacks the language and lacks the concepts and ability to understand the, the nature of um, power in the world to be able to give a concrete analysis of what's really going on without, um, you know, that doesn't mean you have to be like, you know, a huge Putin fanboy, mm -hmm. but you can easily like see that he's engaged in a defense of his society and, and country that's, um, uh, um, you know, puts to, sh puts, you know, to shame any of these, this sort of claim and, and narrative that it's a, it's purely a story of Russian aggression. I think it's a nice way to end it. I, I do want to say a few things about um, what listeners can expect now that we're kind of we're coming out of a little period of writing, um, hoping mm -hmm. to see some of your stuff published shortly, Mario. Um, but I but I think for our for our subscribers, we want to put out these sh shorter kind of analyses of the news, like we did tonight, and some other pieces that have been in the back burner for some time now. And just get yeah. back on the train of uh, kind of low pressure thirty minute segments on yeah. uh, the latest and uh, and not just in Russia. I mean, we've been going on about Russia for a long time, but uh, you know, we want to expand this out to other areas of you know IR interest. We should tell our listeners to look for our um, new Substack, Hawks and Sparrows I wrote a piece on Adam Tooze, in which I mean, I I would argue I skewered him. He didn't. Res I, we, <laughs> we we sent out a tweet at Adam Tews, but he has he's yet to meet the challenge. Yeah, we just you know he takes his time with this. He hasn't even responded to Perry Anderson yet. So yeah, but um, if he responds to you before Perry Anderson, I think that counts for a lot. Yeah, that would. There's some. Then there's really something rotten in the state of Denmark. So the, the cosmic, the 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 universe is out of joint or something. If that happens, yeah, no but doubt. um. Um, we'll be writing more stuff, and I'll be writing. I'm writing a piece on the looking at the course of the war in Ukraine, why it, and a, answering the question why it's taken so long, and and also writing a piece on sanctions. Yeah, yeah. So, so we'll we'll get for that. We'll, we'll definitely talk about those when they're published. And um, well, it, otherwise, you know, happy birthday. I'm gonna uh, I'll donate. Thank you. you know, I'll donate to a Ukrainian NGO of your choice. Just let me know and. 
the world will be a better um, place for it. That right, uh, right sector. You know, I love soccer <laughs> hooligans, so those are my people. I, should, I shouldn't laugh at shit like that. Thanks for listening. <laughs>